Thanks, Karen. Um, so before we launch into this uh, rather weird story in Genesis 20, uh, let's just remind ourselves where we got up to uh, in Genesis 18. Remember, Abraham pleaded on behalf of Sodom, and we saw that God chose to invite Abraham to act as a priest on their behalf. And we concluded that God is calling us his, as his people to a priestly role as well. And there were five aspects to this role that we looked at. Uh, firstly, God calls us to be concerned, um, or to express it another way, the worst thing we can do is to be unconcerned. And despite all of Abraham's faults, and uh, we're going to have a look at another one of his failures today, uh, you can't say that he was unconcerned. He really gave himself uh, in that role. And um, secondly, he was especially concerned for his family who lived in Sodom, uh, Lot and Lot's two daughters, and he represented them to God. Um, thirdly, God's love and justice are two sides of the same coin. He can't be a God of love if he ignores the cries of the poor and the oppressed and doesn't administer justice to the oppressors. And I think our role as priests is actually an outworking of uh, God's justice, isn't it? Um, that's why he asked us uh, to occupy that, that place, that role as priests, interceding on behalf of others. Fourthly, we cannot look to our own goodness to justify our role as priests. We can only look to God's grace. And lastly, fifthly, it's it's not good when we become so concerned about our opinion on various issues that we are willing to sacrifice our relationships in the body of Christ. So yeah, by all means, let's uh, feel free to disagree with our brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ and perhaps how they're dealing with this various uh, crises of our time, but let's not publicly attack them. So uh, <clears throat> today, as I mentioned previously, we're in this weird story of Genesis 20 uh, and it's weird because no one in the story behaves like we would expect them to do and if I was writing this story it, it would be completely completely different um, so um, yeah so you remember in, in, in the previous chapter chapter 19 that, that we didn't cover uh, God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah after he only found one righteous man in Sodom, and that was Lot, and, and he got him and his two daughters out of the place. And we read of that sad conclusion to Lot's life, where his daughters committed incest with him after, after getting them drunk and gave birth to their sons Moab and Ben Ami. And when they grew up, those men became the father of the Moabites and the Ammonites, uh, who eventually became arch enemies of the nation of Israel. But God was, was still gracious um, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but it's it's amazing uh, how gracious he was um, as a, as to to Lot's descendants. So now at the start of chapter twenty, uh, we read that Abraham moves his family away from the trees of memory, which remember were above the the ruined cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why, perhaps uh, Abraham uh, was we just couldn't handle looking at the the remains of those two cities. Uh, it can't have been a very nice thing to look at. So, But whatever the reason, he moved to the region of the Negev and um, stayed for a while in a city called Gerar, which, whose king was Abimelech. And Gerar was a Philistine city, and we all know that name, don't we, um, from David and Goliath, and we all know how much trouble um, the Israelites had with the Philistines. But this story is set in the time before that trouble started. And the first thing 
Abraham does when he gets to Gerard is to revert to his old tricks by saying that Sarah was his sister and deceitfully hiding the fact that she was his wife. So once again, you know, we were thinking Abraham was actually growing spiritually and he was doing really well and, and, and he, God invited him to be act as priest on behalf of Sodom and, and all this amazing stuff. And then he appeared to him again and now he's messed up again. He's, he's just, it's like, has he really changed? What's going on? So, so Abraham's the first disappointment <laughs> in, this, in this passage. Um, and then we read that Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Um, I can imagine what my Sarah would have said if I'd been in that situation. Um, I would have had a couple of black eyes and something whacked over my head. But Sarah, I, and, and again, I mean, isn't what an amazing woman she must have been. She, um, it could have been the culture of the time, but she just, she just went with it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so it's hard not to be disappointed with Abraham, isn't it? Um, we thought he'd grown. We thought he was, he was, and he, and he had, hadn't he? He had grown in grace. Um, he, he was, but, but somehow he's, he's slipped back into this old pattern of behavior. And he did something similar in chapter 12, remember, uh, when he told Pharaoh the same thing. So he's, unfortunately, he, he, again, he looks to be like a deceitful, selfish coward who's prepared to put his own physical well-being ahead of that of his wife. And, and that's a, a tough thing to say of, of one of our heroes of our faith, but there it is, that, <laughs> that's what it looks like. What was he thinking? Uh, just a few months ago, God told him that his son would be born in a year's time. I mean, he's so close, and, and yet he, he, would, he seems to put everything at risk. What's going on in his mind? And we can get a glimpse of what is going on in his mind in verse 13, when he tries to justify to Abimelech later on in the story why he called Sarah his sister. And, and verse 13 goes like this, And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, here's my brother. Now, first of all, that's pretty much blackmail, isn't it? Um, it's kind of He's kind of say, saying to Sarah, if you love me, you'll do this. Uh, in, in other words, if you don't do that, you don't really love me. So that's not very cool. But anyway, what I want to focus on is, is this word, wander. And when God had me wander from my father's household. Now, to wander is is you're going somewhere and you don't really have any idea where he's going, which is true in some respects for Abraham. But God did, and Abraham's not acknowledging something here. And we can see when, when we look at this um, word that Abraham uses in Hebrew here, it occurs exactly 50 times in Scripture and never in a good sense. So its, it's actual definition is to err to make a mistake and it has been translated as deceiving wandering and going astray it's used of animals going astray a drunken man reeling or staggering uh, of sinful seduction of a prophet's lies calling the uh, the people to err or the path of a lying heart so this is this is not a great well this is not a good word at all really for abraham to use in this con uh, context and there's six other Hebrew words that, that can be translated wander, any one of which Abraham might have used, but he chose to use this one. Why did he use this terrible word? 
Um, it basically implies that God led him astray when he left his father's household. It, it kind of implies that he made a mistake all those years ago when he obeyed the word of the Lord. What's going on in his mind? After all, we know now that Abraham did exactly what God asked him to do, didn't he? He's on the right path. He's in the process of becoming the father of everyone who is justified by faith. And in time, he will be a hero of the faith of literally billions of people. He's on the right path. But I think Abraham's use of this word kind of indicates the state of mind that he's in. He can't, he can't see all that. All he can see is failure. He's been promised something that keeps getting promised and never seems to turn up. He's wandered around the country like a nomad because he's got nowhere to call his own. He's left the wealth of his father's household and he's done very well for himself, true, but he probably would have done just as well if he had stayed where he was. And what does it matter if he's, how, much, how well he's done because he hasn't got an heir to leave it all to? His, this precious boy that keeps on getting promised might just be a figment of his imagination. And on top of that, um, his first gig as a, as a priest, God asked him to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what happened to those cities? Well, they had sulfur rain down them. Now they're a pile of ashes. Well, that went well, didn't it, Abraham? So perhaps he's thinking he's failed at being a priest too. And his beloved nephew Lot, who knows where he is? I mean, there, there must have been some contact with him afterwards, but there's no mention of that in, in the scriptures. So I think this, this phrase reveals his mindset. He's discouraged, he's downcast. And he's disappointed with what God has brought about in his life. And he's wondering, maybe I actually made the wrong decision all those years ago. And I don't know about you, but there have definitely been times in my life when I've felt like this. Times when I said to God, God, if this is how you treat your followers, I can, I can see why no one's rushing to join your army. Times where I said to God, if this is your best plan, I'd hate to see your worst plan. You might even be in a situation in your life right now. And if you are, can I encourage you that even though things might look bad from where you are now, like Abraham, you can't see the end of the story. Only God can. You can't see the impact of your life of faith. Only God can. Keep walking. Keep trusting. God is working on a canvas far bigger than we can ever imagine. But let's get back to Abraham. Once again, he's failed to live up to the terms of the covenant God made with him, just as he did almost 30 years before. Remember, his responsibility was to believe and to trust that God was good and that he would do what he promised. But the test was too much, and here he is wondering if it's all worth it. And in his moment of despondency and disillusionment, he didn't trust that God would protect him from those who desired his wife. And uh, Abraham stumbled in a place that he had stumbled before. Instead of trusting God to keep his family together, he devised his own plan to try and do it. And <laughs> his plan failed completely, didn't it? And this chapter, uh, Genesis 20, might as well have been entitled Relapse. And again, doesn't that sound familiar to any of us? We have this expectation that, that we'll continue to grow spiritually and as we get older, will become this um, amazing person uh, that becomes more and more like Christ. And, and this is what we long for and hope for. And then an old habit rears its ugly head and we, we fall flat on our face again. And we wonder, have we really changed that much? 
And it seems to me that, that Abraham, like all of us, has a default way of responding when he gets disappointed or hurt or disillusioned or angry with life in God. And, and we, we, we lose our trust in God, our faith, our, our peace and our rest, and we take matters into our own hands. And this taking matters into our own hands is, is what the Bible calls our flesh, our sinful nature. And someone wrote, old natures never die, they only smell that way. And we are, are still we're still capable of the worst sin that we ever committed. And more, because our sinful nature will be with us, despite the fact that it's being in a process of crucifixion. So Abraham, he was a coward 30 years ago. And unfortunately, his, his, his sinful nature is still a coward here almost 30 years later. Here he is hiding behind his wife, subjecting her to dishonor and disgrace and shame and, and danger. Um, in order to protect his own skin. And he made a pact with her 30 years, um, more than 30 years ago, which, as I mentioned, was pretty much blackmail when you look at it. And he's never got a, gone around to deal with that, that uh, giving, saying, hey, you know what I said all those years ago? That, was, that wasn't cool. He's never actually dealt with that. That's been his fallback position. And the Bible says that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. And that's Romans 7.18. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that if we fall from grace and take matters into our own hands, we're capable of repeating the same old sins that we ever did before. Because it's, it's the same old sinful nature, isn't it? It's just it's sitting there waiting, waiting to, for an opportunity. And it's, 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 we shouldn't be surprised. And that's why God, when he comes um, into the human heart through Jesus, he, he never tries to, to, to polish up that old nature. Uh, he writes it off as worthless. It's got to be crucified. There's nothing good going to come out of it. So what we are now in the flesh, we will always be, even if we live 100 years. Age does not automatically sanctify us. So any dependence on ourselves always has this kind of experience that Abraham had. After, after years and years, decades of walking with God and learning wonderful lessons uh, in the spiritual life and being used amazingly by God, the minute he steps out of this dependency upon God, he goes straight back to the same ugly nature that he's always had. And it's unchanged. And it, uh, I've, I've been asking myself, how do we avoid this, this temptation to depend on ourselves? And, and repeat the same old mistakes that, that we ever did. And, and one realization, I think, is this, is, this real, is this understanding that nothing good can come out of a sinful nature. And, and when, when we're tempted to take matters into our own hands, let's remember what happened the last few times that we did that. Nothing good's going to come out of it. It's like squeezing a used nappy and expecting perfume to come out. It's just, it just won't happen. But I think... It, at the crux of this this issue uh, is is a doubt that God will provide for us. So if you look at the times that Abraham messed up, he, he, he doubted that God would provide for him and protect him and be faithful to the promise that he made, didn't he? If he'd focused on God's provision instead of his fear, he, he maybe wouldn't have relapsed into those old patterns of behavior. So I want to ask you now, what provisions what provision do you need right now and where are you, where are you looking for that provision is it assurance is it is it peace 
is it is it is it is a sense that God has everything under control? What what is it that you need from from the Lord uh, this morning? Can I encourage you to rest in God's grace? Grace that means you can look to God to provide for your needs because of His goodness and His kindness. Now I think we need to be a little careful that when we look to God to provide for us, it, 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 we don't expect Him to provide in the way that we want Him to, because He might not very well do that. But if we let our expectations go and say, Lord, I just need your help. I need your peace or whatever we need. Um, and give him the freedom to, to choose how, how to provide for us. So let's, let's think about that this morning as, as, as we spend time in, in God's presence together. What do we need? What, what do you really need this morning from God? But even with all that in mind, the sober message of the story is that there will still be times in our lives when we will take our eyes off the Lord and, and fail. And so many biblical characters did this. So I think perhaps we need to have realistic expectations of, of ourselves. And when that happens, rather than denying that we've messed up or blaming anyone else, like, uh, like Abraham did here, let's embrace the humility that experiences like that bring. After all, Abraham must have passed the story to his son and, and his family because it got carried forward, didn't it? it? For all of his faults, Abraham didn't try and edit <laughs> edit the story to make himself look good. And that's how come we're reading it today. He didn't try and paint himself as, as someone that he wasn't. So if, as Abraham embraced the humility of what he did, let's do the same. Humility will keep us on the path of grace. So let's not despise it. So now we turn to God's response. And, and once again, God, God doesn't act as, as I would have thought God would. I mean, I would have, I would have slapped Abraham upside the head and, and said, what, are you, what have you done? Why, why would you mess up when you're so close? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't say, well, wow, you really let me down here. What, what a disappointment you are. You really are hopeless, Abraham. No, if you look at this, this chapter... You try and look for any any expression of God's displeasure with Abraham. I couldn't I couldn't find anything. Nothing. It's it's a bit shocking, really. It's almost like God doesn't even notice that he's messed up. It's remarkable. If anything, he's harder on Abimelech. <laughs> the, the focus is on the, the guy that that really acted in, in innocently. It's like God considers Abraham faultless. And I think that's precisely what happened. Remember Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith had credited his account with an infinite amount of righteousness. No matter how many withdrawals he made, God kept his account in credit. God considered Abraham righteous, and that was the end of the story. And this is exactly what the Bible says. Hebrews 8.12 I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So Abraham wasn't forgiven according to the riches of his goodness, which is, to be fair, out of a life of, of faithful walking, there were, there were some, you know, most of his life was, was faithful uh, walking, but there were these moments where he really, he really messed up. So 
he's only forgiven according to his faith in the riches of God's grace. And this is why <clears throat> God, God has nothing to point to. All of his sins are forgiven, his past, his present, and his future sins. They weren't there. And I think this is something that's, that's quite hard for us to get our, our heads around. Because what's true for Abraham is also true for us. Because he is the father of us all who are credited righteous through faith. So this, this to me is incre incredibly gracious of God. Incredibly. I, I, I just can't believe that he didn't even say, come on, mate. <laughs> you can, surely you can do better than that. But there's nothing. So it's fair to say that God's grace is the true hero of the story. And not only that, not only does God not in a, demand an account for Abraham about his failure, but he's covered his whole situation, this, this whole situation in his grace. He appears to a heathen king. A heathen king? Yes. Uh, God spoke to uh, this heathen king. And so it looks like God can appear to anyone at any time if he so chooses. And God didn't mince his words here, did he? <laughs> God launches into nuclear mode straight away and says, you're as good as dead. <laughs> That's a great introduction, isn't it? Ouch. Such a scary, urgent, demanding tone. It requires immediate action. Why, why such a response? Well, remember where we are in the story. A few months ago, God told Sarah that in a year's time, she would have a child. And we know that there's a nine-month incubation time. So we, we must be, either, either Sarah is pregnant with Isaac right now, or very soon she's about to be. So if any, if any man touched Sarah at this point in time, there would always be doubt about whose, child the, um, the, whose father the child was, wouldn't there? We were that close. So this would not only invalidate God's promise to Abraham in the eyes of everyone, but to this day there would be an element of doubt uh, about the ancestry of the Lord. Right? So this is, <laughs> this is a really big and incredibly important time in God's plan of salvation for the world. And he, there was no way that God was going to allow his plan to be derailed. So he acts quickly and decisively as an expression of his faithfulness to the promise he made to Abraham. So not only does he appear to Abimelech, but he finds out that he's been restraining him from committing adultery with Sarah. Isn't it amazing that because Abraham was in this covenant with God through faith, God covered Abraham's failure by taking such drastic uh, action to rescue the situation that could have easily turned to custard spectacularly. So are you doubting God's covering of grace at this time? Because you consider that you failed in some respect. Let the story be an assurance to you that God's grace is covering your situation and that he will hold you to the path that he wants you to be on and that he won't let anything derail the plans he has for your life. And despite Abraham's muck-up, God doesn't cast him aside. He, he still has a, has a job for him to do. He, he wants him to act as a priest again. And, and notice how cunning God is here. If he'd gone to Abraham and said, I want you to go and pray for Abimelech, Abraham would have gone, oh, no way. But instead he tells Abimelech, you go to Abraham and Abraham will pray for you and then you'll be healed. 
So <laughs> there's no way that God, that, that, there's no way out for Abraham because Abimelech's not going <laughs> not gonna to take no for an answer. He's going to say, I don't care how you feel, son. You're going to pray for me and you're going to pray for me right now. So God, <laughs> God has this role for Abraham and he's not going to let Abraham get out of it. Once again, God wants Abraham to take up a priestly role and intercede for others. And to his credit, and this is a third character in the story that, that doesn't behave like we would expect for a heathen king, he shows that um, he's, he's got a fear of God. He did fear God very much. In fact, when he told his, his household, everyone got freaked out. It's one of the crazy ironies of the story that Abimelech seems to fear God more than Abraham does. Abimelech is really nobler in this story than Abraham. And unfortunately, it's, it's common in our time too, isn't it? Some non-Christians can be more pleasant and, and seemingly godly than, than us Christians sometimes. And maybe that's because uh, we, us as Christians sometimes live out of this old, our old nature. And we know that it's quarrelsome and it's irritable and self-centered and difficult to live with. But at the end of the day, neither the Christian nor the non-Christian can please God with our old nature no matter how it manifests itself. So Abraham had something that Abimelech didn't. He'd been credited righteousness from God, and so God was free to work out his purposes through him. God turned Abraham's failure into fullness and blessed him and caused him to be the instrument through which Abraham, um, Abimelech was forgiven and restored. It was only, remember, when, when Abraham prayed for Abimelech that Abimelech was forgiven and his household healed. So once again, we see this, this priestly role to which God calls his people. And it's dependent on his grace. And we need to remember that. When, when, when we feel a prompting to pray for others and we feel unworthy, we, we need to do it anyway because we can't place our confidence in, in, in what we bring to the table. We need to place our confidence in God's grace and in his greatness. So just... Do it if you feel led to, if you feel a leading to, to pray and intercede for someone. Step up and do it. Abraham, you know, to be fair, Abraham didn't say to Bimlik, Sorry, mate, I'm, I'm just not the guy you think I am. I can't pray for you and expect God to listen to my prayer. I mean, Abimelech wouldn't have accepted that anyway, but Abraham didn't disqualify himself from what God was calling him to do. So, can we make sure we don't disqualify ourselves either? Let's just get on and, and fulfill this priestly role that God is calling us to fulfill. So what do we learn from this kind of weird and sad but also human passage from Genesis 20 today? I think first of all God's ability to carry out his plans through us is far greater than our ability to mess it up. I think, I think that's the first thing. We have a great ability to mess things up, but God has a far greater ability to carry out his plans through us. And the Bible never presents the heroes of our faith as superhuman. The acts of faith are often mixed with failings and fears. And, and as I mentioned before, on the whole, Abraham lived this incredible life of faith, but it was punctuated by these colossal failures when his sinful nature expressed itself which showed that his basic self was unchanged despite the passing of time. So let's not be surprised if we, if we experience similar episodes in our lives. 
And despite all this, through Abraham's highs and lows, God's grace is evident as he works out his plan through his human servants. So remember, God's ability to carry out his plans is far greater than our ability to mess it up. Secondly, I think if we do mess things up, it's let's embrace the humility. Embrace the humility. Yes, we're not as good as we thought we were. Yes, we're not as mature as we thought we were. Let's embrace that. Embrace the truth of it. Tell the story like Abraham did. These are good things for our hearts to be reminded of because if we don't get reminded that we are fallible, then our pride will keep growing. And we know that pride, as C.S. Lewis said, is the deadliest of all sins. So embrace the humility. So thirdly, even the greatest biblical heroes had times of great disillusionment and doubt with God and his plan for them. So we shouldn't be surprised if we feel the same sometimes. But they were considered heroes because they kept walking with God. They never walked away from God. And if you find yourself in a time of such doubt and disillusionment, remember that you can't see the end of your story. Only God can. Take the Lord's hand. Keep walking. Keep trusting. Again, God is working on a canvas far bigger than we can ever imagine. Fourthly, God is calling us as people to be priests. And I think it's an urgent call for our time. And we saw this again today uh, when um, God told Abimelech that he would only be forgiven and his household restored when Abraham prayed for him. So may I encourage us all to accept this priestly calling and continue to intercede for our family and friends in our city and our nation. This is a mantle that God has placed on us that is not dependent on whether or not we consider ourselves worthy of the role. So let's just do it, okay? And remember Abraham's first gig didn't, didn't work out so well, but God, God was still working out his purposes through him. And so regardless of, of whether you think, oh, you know, God doesn't seem to be listening to my prayers, just keep, keep doing it, because that's what God is calling us to do here. And fifthly and finally, in these times of doubt and disillusionment are really all about whether God will provide for us, aren't they? I think it's only when we start getting worried about provision for a certain situation or aspect of our lives that we experience great anxiety, um, stress, worry. Um, we, can't, we can't find rest. We stop sleeping. Why, why would we why would we do that? If we take matters into our own hands, if we try and figure things out, if, especially in situations that we have no control over, it, it, it only makes things worse. So what do you need provision for right now? Right at this moment in your in, in your life. Rather than be focused on that situation, can I encourage you to, to focus on what God can supply for you. Be su supply-minded, not, not demand-minded. Look at what God supplied for Abraham in this passage. Look at the extent he went to to protect his righteous one, to protect his plan for Abraham. And as God pr provided for Abraham, even in his time of weakness, so I, I believe he will provide for us, his righteous ones, so can we look for God's grace to bring us what we need? 
and and if if you're if you've got so many things on your mind and you and and you just occupied with oh I've got to do this and then I have to how am I going to do that and how don't start the day like that. Rather, start thanking God for how He provide for you. Thank you, Lord, that today you'll give me what I need for this situation. And Lord, thank you that you'll give me the peace I need to cope with that situation. And thank you, Lord, for going ahead of me in this situation because I really need you there. Focus on, on God's grace and his provision for us in these, in these difficult times. When I, I find that I, when I focus on God's supply for me, I'm filled with peace and even a sense of excitement about some of these situations that, that were causing me such uh, dread and anxiety. So in these crazy times when it's so easy to feel like a cornered mouse with the tide coming in, let's look for God to provide for us and keep us in his peace and rest. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story this morning, which shows us how much you provided for Abraham and protected him from wrecking uh, your plan for his life in spite of his weakness and lack of faith. Father, help us to rest in you and to have confidence in your provision for our lives as well, in spite of our weakness and lack of faith too. Lord, help us not to focus on all that is being demanded of us. Rather, help us to be focused on your supply that will bring us everything we need to cope with what you have asked us to. So Lord, in, in, this, in this moment, can I encourage you to open your mind, your heart, your soul to the Lord. And if there's anything that is weighing on you, that you're worried about a specific situation or anything, lift that to the Lord. Ask him for his provision. Ask him for his supply. If you need grace, if you need peace uh, and assurance that, that God has the situation in hand. Just receive that from him now. Holy Spirit, may your, your peace envelop us, fill our hearts right now. Bring us calmness, bring us gentleness, Lord. Take away any angry or anxious thoughts. Supply our needs, Lord God, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, can I also um, ask us, uh, as we go to our breakout groups, um, can, can we uh, spend, uh, after we've kind of, caught up with each other, can we also spend time in this priestly role of interceding? Uh, just take take a few minutes to pray for a nation, or a city, whatever you feel God calling you to pray for. Can I encourage you to take up that priestly role this morning and intercede? Uh, because uh, I think our country certainly needs our prayers, our interceding prayers this morning. So um, thank you, Mickey, if you can organize those breakout groups.